So to begin tonight, I thought I'd give you a chance to get to know me. Since I know many of you are probably from out of town, have maybe never been here, you don't know me at all, and you're about to sit and listen to me. So maybe, maybe having an introduction to me uh, so you can decide if you want to listen would be helpful. So I thought I would share what I think are like, okay, maybe not the worst Christmas songs, but my five least favorite Christmas songs. So um, I'm hoping I don't step on any toes. So I'm going to start with number five. And yes, this has nothing to do with the rest of my sermon, but I thought it'd be a good introduction to me. So five, Dominic the donkey. Not sure why this song was needed. I love a good donkey joke at Christmas time as much as you all do. But this song is just, ooh, it's bad. It's bad. Um, Okay, so before we show number four, so I am one of those people that November 1st, I am listening to Christmas music. I love Christmas music. Uh, It's in my car. It's um, at home. My kids uh, listen to it all the time. I'm always on Spotify finding a new playlist. But there is one song that I have discovered is not on any Spotify playlist, and that's for a reason. It's Funky Funky Xmas by New Kids on the Block. Um, anyone actually know this song? Anyone? Yeah, there's a reason you don't. There's a reason you don't. Okay, so number three, Fairy Tale of New York. Anybody? Am I stepping on any toes yet? So I've always wanted to go to New York at Christmas time. This song makes me want to never go to New York at Christmas time. Okay, number two, Christmas Shoes. Do you all know this song? It's so depressing. Don't don't go listen to it after this. It will ruin your night. I'm just going to tell you, but it's so sad. Okay, so before we show number one, um, I need to preface it because I think I'm going to make some people really mad. So uh, I don't think it's a bad song, but I'm going to tell you why it, I think it's a, a weird song in a second. Um, so it's actually Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Okay, so I know. I love Paul McCartney. He is a genius. I saw him in concert a few years ago. He is incredible. I mean, he's one of the Beatles. But every time I listen to it, all I can picture is like a teenage boy in his basement on his Casio keyboard. Like, I'm going to play this song for my family at Christmas and they're going to love it. Like, it's, it's real cheesy. It's also got that Ross Geller kind of like when he's on his piano. I don't know if you know that from Friends. Um, but some other honorable mentions, Driving Home for Christmas and My Only Wish by Britney Spears. Um, So now that we've cleared that up and you've maybe judged me, how about we get to something a little bit more important? So this evening, I'm going to read what is most likely a very familiar story to many of you in this room. Or maybe it's vaguely familiar, or maybe it's simply been a long time since you sat with this story. Or maybe there's parts of it that you think, okay, I think that happens in Luke, or maybe that happens in Matthew. I'm not so sure. Sometimes we merge parts of this story together. And maybe um, the order of the story, you can't remember how it unfolds. Or maybe you've kind of forgotten what this story means. No matter where you find yourself tonight, I hope tonight that we can walk away from this story, maybe knowing something different, maybe having a different viewpoint, and maybe you can have a sigh of relief because you have found yourself in this story tonight. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is a Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you have heard me preach before, you know that I love um, to use my imagination. We as adults don't use our imagination nearly enough, and I believe it's such a powerful tool in deepening and understanding scripture. So therefore tonight, I'm gonna ask you to use a little bit of imagination and try to get rid of this very embedded image of this holy family and what it looked like and how the events unfolded. And I need you to promise not to get mad when I mess with how you picture it. So I want to start with the journey to Bethlehem. So at this time, when people would travel, when people traveled to like Jerusalem for high holy days or festivals, they always traveled in packs. It was not safe to travel by yourself. There were areas that were plagued with, with robbers and some conditions weren't good. They were, it was hard. It was a hard journey. And so you had these long caravans of people and donkeys and supplies and, and kids would be running back and forth between groups of people because the people you were traveling with most likely were family. They were good friends. It was this tight community. If you know uh, the story of Jesus, you know later on we see him um, go to Jerusalem with his family. And uh, Mary and Joseph do lose him um, because they're in this big caravan and they just assumed Jesus was off with someone else. So it took them a few days to realize he was gone, but they went back to get him. Uh, it makes me think that Mary, uh, maybe the angel should have said, oh, by the way, Mary, please don't lose him. 
and maybe the wise men should have brought a leash backpack for him. I don't know. <laughs> but since so many people had to go, and this whole sentence was this new thing, I have to imagine they were not only traveling in a fairly big caravan, but it also grew as they went along. People joined them along the way, and they probably crossed paths with other people going to their own hometown. So the first thing I need you to picture is that Mary and Joseph were not traveling alone in the wilderness. They were surrounded by family and friends. And this is different because every storybook or every picture or every painting, I bet if you were to go home and just Google, you would see Mary and Joseph and a donkey in the wilderness and no one in sight. And somehow they only travel at night. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's always at night. So, but I started thinking about this caravan. I couldn't get it out of my head. And I thought, who are these people? Who were the people that journeyed with Mary and Joseph? They're not mentioned. We have no names for them, but I believe they were there. Were they family? I'm sure. Lots of relatives, cousins, aunts, uncles. And then longtime friends that Mary and Joseph grew up with, ones that they had played with as young children, those that they had seen one another get married and maybe have kids, people they had shared countless meals with and, sh- and celebrated so many holy days with. And I imagine among those friends and family, many did not believe Mary. They thought Joseph was a fool. They heard the story and they thought about the circumstances and who they thought God was and what they knew about God and how they pictured the Messiah would come into the world and they thought, no way. They just simply could not believe it. On the other hand, I bet some in that caravan very much believed Mary and Joseph. They believed in this miraculous occasion. They knew that God was radical. They knew God could do anything. They were the ones listening and waiting, the ones that were expecting. They were celebrating this. And then I imagine there were some who really wanted to believe. And maybe they, they kind of did, but I bet they had an awful lot of doubts and a lot of questions. See, part of that story, of course, it seemed so true and real to them. They thought, well, there is something different about Mary. And they knew that their God was one of miracles and, and sometimes did dramatic things, but something held them back. Can you relate to any of these people on the caravan? And then there are the shepherds. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read the portion of the angel of the Lord and the multitude of angels of the heavenly host praising and singing to God, I think, wow, must have been nice to get a very obvious, very clear, very precise message. And we know there there was at least two shepherds. We know there just wasn't one because I'm sure as they're standing there witnessing, they're probably thinking, "Um, Bob, uh, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I just want to check that I'm not the only one. Are you hearing this? Okay, great. I'm not going crazy. But they had this this big revelation. No wonder they went with haste because they had this huge experience. 
And I bet you've met people like that. They have heard a message, they've experienced something, and their belief is so strong. Their faith, it seems to be unshakable. They seem to have no doubts. But we're not all shepherds. We don't all have that kind of experience. Which is why I love this story. Which is why I love to think about the other people that surrounded Mary and Joseph on the journey and that were maybe even a witness at the birth. You know, there's some other characters I haven't even covered. Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, who struggled to believe that Elizabeth, his wife, was going to have a child. Or Joseph, who wanted to quietly dismiss Mary because he didn't believe her. And even Mary, who had questions to the angel Gabriel, she just didn't quite understand how it was all going to come to be. And so as I sat with the story, the two words that I kept thinking about were pondered versus haste. The contrast of the shepherds going with haste and then Mary treasuring the words and pondering them in her heart. Now please don't hear me say that Mary didn't believe, but I bet she had a lot of questions doubts of how it's all going to play out, what Jesus's life was going to be like, what her and Joseph's lives were going to be like. Would Jesus make friends? Would Mary and Joseph have friends? Would would Jesus look different? Would people automatically know who he was? Would he act differently? I bet Mary said so many times, this is so much, this doesn't make sense, how can this be? Why do I tell you all of this? Because the season, the spirit of Christmas is usually just, well, just believe. Just have faith. Joyfully accept all of this. But my human experience tells me something different. Too much of life steers me in different directions. When I think about the pain and the suffering and the grief and war and injustice and then doubts and questions and things that don't seem possible or things that just don't add up at battles and fights for my attention. All those things want to tell me, how can you just believe when there's all this other stuff going around? Which is why I love thinking about those from Nazareth that heard what happened, those that were in the caravan, the friends and family that surrounded Mary and Joseph, the ones that believed, the ones that walked away, ones that were waiting for their own sign for God to speak to them, the ones that witnessed everything, the ones that remained curious about everything that was going on. I bet we can all identify with the different characters of the story, both named and unnamed, which is why this story is for everyone. Those of us that just believe and accept this story and have faith with no questions, those that believe with haste and go through life with haste, those of us that really struggle and, and aren't quite there yet, or what, for those of us that have moments of belief and then find ourselves wavering, pondering versus haste. I love that this story gives us permission to do both, to do all the things, to feel or not feel, to believe or not believe. Because I get it, this is a pretty radical story when we read it. God coming to us in the form of a baby, God being 
born into a poor family, God being vulnerable enough to suffer, to be rejected, God living among us as a human to experience the good, the bad, and ugly of what it means to be a human, to advocating and and caring and siding with the poor, the marginalized, and those on the fringes, and and then loving us and, and forgiving us and helping us and healing us and so much more, and then yet we reject him and so many don't believe the story doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would a powerful God want to come to us? It's because of God's great love for us. Each and every one of us. And so I thought, what is the Christmas spirit? Is it belief? Is it unbelief? Is it doubt? Is it questions? Is it worries? And I say, yes. So many characters felt all those things and we are no different from the people in this book. We're very much the same. We're all human experiencing life and the ups and downs. And so no matter where you are on your journey of faith, you are invited into this story. God came for you in all your questions, doubts, and unbelief. But, and you knew this was coming, (laughs) I would ask that maybe tonight you would open yourself up to trying to believe, to have some hope in this story. And I'm not gonna ask you to ignore or set aside your doubts and questions. Those are such a key part of faith and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But there's something about opening ourselves to the possibility of believing this to being like Mary and pondering it all, which I believe is going back and forth of belief and then being overwhelmed and then doubting and then questioning and then thinking, am I crazy for thinking this is true? One of my favorite verses is found in the Gospel of Mark chapter nine. It is a verse that I think expresses the human experience of faith. Jesus is about to heal a boy and his father cries out to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. Has there ever been a more true statement from a human wanting to have faith? How we can believe and maybe also have unbelief at the same time. Different people in the story believed in different ways at different times, at, different, at a different pace. But I hope tonight was a reminder of God's grace to you in your struggle, in your questions, and your doubts. So no matter where you are, even in total disbelief, God came for you and loves you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, So what is the Christmas spirit? It's wherever you are tonight. Thanks be to God. Amen.